0: So how many of you here this morning are firstborns, first child born in your family? Any other firstborns besides myself? How many of you are only children, the only child born in your family? Got a couple of not only firstborns, but only child. If you're an only child, you're also a firstborn, right? That kind (laughs) of logically follows. So Maggie raised her hand twice, and I thought, how can you do that? They go, oh yeah, that's how you do that. So we firstborns are an interesting group. Uh, We tend to be more independent than our siblings because we're first and we're by ourselves, right? Uh, We tend to be more hardworking. Um, We tend to be leaders. That's oftentimes true of firstborns. Um, Firstborns are less likely to take risk. Firstborns are not typically risk takers. They play it safe. And firstborns are most likely to take direction. Because we learn early that the way you get approval and acceptance is by doing what? Doing what you're told. Keeping the rules. And so we firstborns live life frequently, most likely as rule keepers. We keep the rules. But if any of you firstborns are like me, there's a little bit of a rebel inside. And We oftentimes look for loopholes in the rules. Am I the only one that does that? Looks for loopholes in the rules? I'm I'm guilty of that. And the other thing that I love to do with the rules is to find ways to use the rules to my advantage. And I could tell you some very embarrassing stories about how I've done that. But rule keeping is not only a part of the lifestyle of most firstborns. It kind of follows suit for most of us, right? We kind of grow up, our parents tell us what to do, they teach us what to do, and we're expected to do it. We grow up as rule keepers. And so this morning as we come to Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus engaging the religious leaders of his day. And it's all about keeping the rules. It's all about keeping the rules. And so what happens is we come to Mark chapter 2 this morning and see again... We dip into the life of Jesus' call and the life of a tax collector named Levi, who later was Matthew. As we drop into this chapter and look at this story, we see the rule keepers in conflict with Jesus because Jesus is not a rule keeper. And one of the lessons we're going to learn this morning, or the primary thing I want you to kind kind of wrap your hearts around this morning, is that this life... That God has called you and me to live is not about keeping rules. It's about relationship with King Jesus. We're following Him. We're not following rules. And so I want you to kind of hold that big umbrella over our thoughts this morning. The call in my life and the call in your life is to follow Jesus, not to follow rules. Now, for some of you this morning, you're a little nervous. You're wondering where I'm going with this and what's going to happen and where we're going to wind up. And, but just kind of fasten your seatbelts, return your tray to what's upright, locked position. It's all, it's all going to be good. So take your Bible with me this morning. I'm going to lay mine down here where I can see it. And uh, we're going to read this chapter beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 15. You remember last Sunday we looked in at the call of Levi, the tax collector, and Jesus called him to follow him. And so we're going to dip back just a little bit and pick up on that as as we go forward. Verse 15, Mark chapter 2. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in Levi's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them. And they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? It's time of celebration, right? Not not time for fasting. So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, and the the new is torn from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost in the skin as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And it happened as he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain, the Pharisees were saying to him, Lord, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? He and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar the high priest. And ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. He also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They were watching him to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. <laughs> Interesting response to the rules of the day, right? Fascinated response. So the first thing I want you to notice in this passage is that the motive behind the rules was good. These are good motives. Because the ambition of the Pharisees and the scribes was to direct people to keep God's law, to obey God. Is that a good plan? That's a great plan. That was their ambition. And so in the culture of the day, it's fascinating to see the different groups that were kind of vying for power in the New Testament world in Israel. So, for example, you had a group called the Herodians. We, we hear them mentioned in this passage. And... The Herodians are supporters of the Herods, the ruling class that's there, the rulers, the Herods that are in place by the Roman government. And so the Herodians gain favor by keeping the rules of the Roman government. They're rule keepers too, but they're keeping man's laws, the laws of the Roman government. You have a group called the Sadducees, who are the, the wealthy, they're the aristocratic. They were part of the ruling Sanhedrin that would have ruled in Jerusalem and over the nation, their ruling council. Uh, they did not believe in the supernatural, and they rejected the rules and traditions of the Pharisees. So they were in conflict. The Pharisees are an interesting group because they believed that God's word was literally true. They believed that God spoke, didn't stutter, God spoke. And we listen and we obey. And so the Pharisees were in a lot. I identify with a lot of what the Pharisees believed and represented. Because they were embracing the scriptures. They were seeking to obey the scriptures. The challenge was they went beyond what the scriptures said. And so here's Jesus walking into this context with different rule keepers, and he comes into conflict with them all the time. He's in conflict with the Herodians because they're keeping the rules and laws of the Roman government, and they're advancing that. Do you remember the whole conversation Jesus had about whether the taxes should be paid or not? They're trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said what? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's He God. He's always in conflict with the rule. keepers of the day whether it was the Herodians the Sadducees but mostly we see the Pharisees in fact one of the things one of the conclusions we came to on Tuesday morning in our men's Bible study group is we've kind of decided that the the Pharisees were kind of guilty of stalking Jesus they were just kind of always on the edges wherever he was looking at him seeking to accuse him as this passage suggests but they were the rule keepers of the day seeking to Bring people into compliance with what the scriptures taught. So the motives were good. The problem was the rules they developed went beyond what the scriptures taught. And so the Pharisees had 613 laws, rules, that not only were they seeking to follow and obey, but their expectation was what? Everybody else had to keep those rules and laws, too. And so they had these 613 rules or laws. 248 of them were things you must do. No surprise, 365 were things you should not do. And for the Pharisees, their great uh, joy, especially the scribes of the Pharisees, their great joy was to get together to debate and to argue about those rules and those laws. And they divided them into different categories and classes. But the whole thing was all about what? Keeping the rules. Being rule keepers. And Jesus kind of flew in the face of this. Because we find four examples in this passage of rules that Jesus refused to. To give into, so for example, their first uh, rule that we see in this passage is: spiritual people do not associate with sinners. Spiritual people don't do that. What do spiritual people do? Distance yourself from those unbelieving sinners. And so, what was Jesus doing? He was having dinner with them in the home of the tax collector dude. And it says there were many tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus has stepped across that that boundary, that border, if you will, that the Pharisees refused to cross. The Pharisees believed that if you were to associate with those sinners, those non-believer types, if you associate with them, you make yourself unclean before God. And so they had no association with sinful people. None. And here's Jesus in the most intimate form of association. Because in this culture, in this day, the most intimate form of relationship with another person took place with a meal. That was the most intimate form of relationship. So Jesus violated their rule. The second rule that he violates here is they believe that spiritual people must fast. And so there's this question here in verses 18 to 22. How come the disciples of the Pharisees fast? How come the disciples of John the Baptist fast? But your disciples don't fast. What's up with that? You're missing out. You're not following the rules. And Jesus' whole discussion in response to them. You know, the friends of the bridegroom don't fast. You know, they're celebrating. It's a wedding day. By the way, how many fasts are prescribed in the Old Testament? So if you read the book of Leviticus and read carefully, you'll discover that the expectation was that one day a year, what day would that be? Any guesses? Yom Kippur, very good. So one day a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the most high and holy day in the Jewish calendar, that was a day for fasting. Now, interestingly, if you read your Bible and you read through the prophet Jeremiah, he talks about four fasts that happened after the time of exile in Babylon. The Pharisees, by the way, they fasted twice a week, every Monday, every Thursday. That was the rules. You needed to fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Was that prescribed in the Scriptures? No. Again, they added to what the Scriptures taught. Jesus was in conflict with the issue of association with sinners. He was in conflict with this issue of fasting. And then the third one here in this passage is spiritual people don't work on the Sabbath. And so in verses 23 to 26, we see this discussion about walking through the grain fields and his disciples are plucking off grains of wheat. I'm not sure how great of a meal that would make. But I guess in a pinch, that would work, wouldn't it? And so they're hungry, they're walking through the grain field, and they're, they're plucking grains of wheat and eating that. Well, time out, the Old Testament says don't work. Well, that's what the Pharisees had, 39 different classes of work. That you could not do. By the way, this act of reaping is number three on their list. And so there were 39 different classes of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. And Jesus' beautiful response to this accusation is what? Well, he says it right here. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Which one serves the other? Jesus, again, in conflict with the rules and the rule keepers. Don't associate with sinners. You have to fast and you never do any work on the Sabbath day. The fourth law, the fourth rule is you can't even heal someone on the Sabbath day. If you were a doctor, a physician in first, world, in first century Israel... The only time that you could practice medicine and be involved in healing was if death was imminent, then you could function in that doctor life saving role. So there's all these rules, all these regulations, and Jesus flies in the faith in the face of all of these. So the spiritual life is either a life of trying to keep rules and trying to measure up, kind of like we did as children growing up, right? Or it's all about something else. And as we watch Jesus in His life, His teachings and His behavior constantly come into conflict with the rules and the rule keepers. And so there's a bigger lesson, a deeper lesson Not only are their motives good, not only did they bring in traditions that went beyond the Scriptures, the real need in our lives isn't for more rules, but for right hearts. It's all about the heart. It's always about the heart. And so here's Jesus, here's the Pharisees in constant conflict. And I think in a lot of ways, it's not a whole lot different Different today. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a in a home uh, Christian home. We went to church on Sundays, went to Sunday school. Um, I remember as a as a child, you know, we were kind of limited in our activities on Sunday afternoon. We were kind of expected to stay at the house and not go out and do a lot of stuff. And then I remember early on understanding. That the Christian life was defined by what you do or do not do. So I grew up understanding that Christians don't smoke. Christians don't drink alcohol. Christians don't dance. Christians don't go to movies. um, And there's probably more on the list. We used to have a little song we sang. um, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. Um, yeah, that was fun. I remember well uh, when I traveled back to Indiana to go to college. Now I'm free. I'm free from my parents. I'm free from all that stuff back in California. I'm in Indiana. I can live life the way I want. And I pull into the parking lot outside the Alpha Girls dorm, cross from the tennis courts. And there's a sign on the tennis courts. No Sunday playing. What have I gotten myself into? At Grace College, we were not allowed to have uh, playing cards. You know, the cards with the king and the jack and the queen. And, you know, those, those were gambling cards. And so Christians don't gamble and they don't play with gambling cards. And so we could play rook. Any rook-playing people? you familiar with the rook cards? So what we did is we took rook cards. And if you, if you know how to play within the rules, but you know how to find loopholes and you're looking for ways to use the rules to your advantage, you can use rook cards to play poker. Yeah, I was a rebel at 18. I still am a little bit. But I, that was my understanding of much of the Christian life growing up in those early years of my life. It was all about... Rules and rule keeping, keeping the rules. And so I look at the life of Jesus. I look at the teaching of Jesus. I look at the behavior of Jesus. And I start asking myself the question, so what is what, what, is, what is the pathway to living the life that God calls us to live? Is it all wrapped up in a list of rules, do and don't? Is that really what it's all about? And I look at the life of Jesus and I say, you know, it looks like it's about something else. And our theme this year, of course, is captured in those two words there, following Jesus. He's calling us not to follow a list of rules, but follow Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Do what Jesus says. Obey Him. And so th- there, there's things that strike me in a, in a, in a practical way. If I want to live a life That honors God and I'm trying to make decisions about choices about activities in my life are there boundaries of where I should live my life somebody say yes so there are boundaries if I'm going to be a Christ follower if I'm going to choose to follow Jesus in my life and I want to honor him in my life there's going to be some things that are outside the boundaries of what is good for me what is best for me right Looking for another yes. Just one. Okay, there we go. So uh, and so there's several things that occur to me as as I work through this and think about this. Um, So the first thing that strikes me is this. Be careful about assuming that the lack of a no is an automatic yes. So some people go to the Bible looking for uh, a specific yes or no answer. And so, nowhere in the Bible does it say I can't drive my car 80 miles an hour on Foster Road. So, therefore, it must be okay, right? Well, hey man, who said that? Was, was that one of our elders that said that? Oh, man. But th- there's some other principles involved that might govern that decision, right? Um, be careful, assuming that the lack of a, a, a no is an automatic yes, um, You know, the Bible doesn't tell me I can't go to see R-rated movies. But there's some principles in the Bible that play into my life that kind of preclude that. That's outside the boundaries for me. There's principles. Um, So don't assume because there's no specific no that that means you're good to go. Um, A second thing that is always a caution for me that I would suggest is beware of using our culture as the standard for right and wrong. You know, so many people determine the direction of their life based on what everybody else does. What everybody else says is right. Does our culture determine how you and I live our lives? I sure hope not. And so it's never good to make decisions about behavior and rights and wrongs based on what the culture says and does. Our culture tells me that abortion is legal. Does that make it right? No. No. Our culture tells me that smoky marijuana is legal. Does that make it right? Even if all 50 states agree with California and Washington and Oregon and Colorado and others. So that's a caution in my life. By the way, the right standard isn't our culture. It's God's word. Um, My third thought is, guard your heart. (laughs) Dave read uh, this morning in Proverbs chapter 4 a a verse that I find very challenging. It says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Pay attention to what's going on here. Have you ever heard someone say to you, oh, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Is that good advice? Why not? Does the Bible say anything about the human heart? Yeah, keep going, Amy. What's that verse say? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord says, I know it. <laughs> Be careful about following your heart. Um, <laughs> Oh, I got so much I could say about that. You know, the the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it's not following my heart. It's following what God says, what He wants. You've heard me say before, I define the fear of the Lord as anxiety to please, dread to offend. I'm anxious to please my Lord. I'm dreading that I would offend Him. I live in that sense of fear. I want to please the Lord. I want to please the Christ who died on the cross. The one that we sang about this morning, Amazing Grace. Um, Guard your heart. We have a tendency with our hearts, by the way, to kind of play with the rules. I kind of alluded to this earlier Um, looking for loopholes, looking for ways to kind of um, use the rules to our advantage. And so I grew up in Long Beach near the intersection of Lakewood and Stearns, for those of you who get a little geography. And the neighborhood I grew up, grew up in was on the, the east side of Signal Hill. So just like two or three blocks north of my house, there was a, a little city park. And on the back fence of the city park was that open area going up to the hill. Well, my mother had a rule in our house. You do not go onto Signal Hill. You do not play on Signal Hill. That was my mom's rule. And back in the 50s, I know that's a long time ago for some of you, but back in the 50s, Signal Hill had oil. (laughs) Signal Hill was all about oil. There were oil wells, not condos. And so there were oil wells everywhere, and there were these things called oil sumps, which were like big Olympic-sized swimming pools filled with oil. And there had been an article in the newspaper about some kid that climbed over the fence, got into that oil, and died. And so my mom's rule was pretty simple. Don't go on the hill. Well, my friend's mother's didn't have that rule. My friends could go play on Signal Hill. But my mother wouldn't let us play on Signal Hill. So... Where does the hill begin? Well, the backside of the fence is flat. That's not a hill. And it continues to be flat for three, four hundred yards, maybe. Maybe a little more. And so maybe we can go play out there because that's really not the hill. And so, you know, I'm looking for advantage because all my friends are playing out there. And... There's so many cool things to do on Signal Hill. So where does the hill start? And so we started out on the flat part. And then we were kind of up on a little bit of an incline. But really, that's the hill up there, right? Right? Someone say wrong. <laughs> that's not... So what happened over time was we just kind of kept going up a little bit higher up the hill. And we discovered the water company has this big green lawn up on top of the hill. And it's shaped like this. Baseball diving. It is so cool. And so pretty soon I found myself playing wiffle ball with my friends upon the very top of the hill. And we kind of do that sometimes with God's Word. God tells us, you know, kind of these are the the borders, these are the boundaries. And we're always looking to do this. And we we just kind of want to get our toes right up to the edge of the line. As a firstborn, this is kind of my modus operandi in life. Just how close can I get to the line? And that's why Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart. Pay attention to your heart. What's going on here? Oh, there's so much more I can say about that. I could tell you lots of stories about Royce kind of stretching the rules. Um, my forethought is this. Look beyond the specific rules, do this or don't do that, to the principles of Scripture. It ought to be God's Word, the principles that guide us. You know, I think, for example, in, in the book of Romans, in chapter fourteen, fifteen, along in there, um, Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things do what? Not all things are profitable. Not all things are expedient. Just because you can does not necessarily mean you should. And so there's, there's, there's principles. And so I was bike riding yesterday with my friend Don. Don's a retired uh, soccer coach at Azusa Pacific University. And he's, he deigns to spend time with a graduate of Biola Anyway, uh, we're bike riding yesterday and he he asked me, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, I'm preaching on rules and rule keepers. And uh, we talked about that a little bit. And uh, he had been sharing with me all week long this struggle he was having, he and his wife were wrestling with and trying to make a God honoring decision in a area that you could say was gray, if you want to live in the gray areas. And so Don was telling me that his son, who's a general contractor, he's a project manager. He's been a project manager on some of the uh, episodes you've probably seen on Extreme Makeover. And so Scott is a, a contractor, and he wants to buy his neighbor's house, flip it, and resell it. And he's invited his father, Don, to invest in this flip. And so here's this opportunity to make some money. Is that attractive? It's always attractive, right? We're good, good American capitalists. Making money is a good plan. And so Scott's going to provide labor materials, but he needs a financial partner. And so he's saying to mom and dad, here's an opportunity for you to help me and for me to help you, and you can make some money. Is that a win-win? Yeah. So as Don explores this a little further... He's talking with the, uh, the, the loan company that's going to do the loan to buy this house. And if you get a loan on a home that you're not going to live in, you're going to rent it out to others, then your down payment is 20%. But if you're going to live in the house and it's going to be your residence, the down payment is... 5%. So if you were going to buy a $500,000 house, I like round numbers, and your down payment was going to be 20%, that's 100 grand. If you're going to buy a $500,000 house and your down payment's only 5%, then you only need I'm not the only one in this math challenge. 25 grand, I think. And so if Don tells the mortgage company, we're going to live there, it costs this much. If Don tells the mortgage company, no, we're not going to live there, we're going to rent it out or, or resell it, then it's this much. So is there a possibility that they might move into the house next door to their son and their grandkids? Sure. Do they plan to do that? No. So if he tells the mortgage company that they're going to live there, then he's... Lying, thank you. And so this was Don's dilemma. It's possible we might move there, maybe, but we don't intend to. We don't plan to. And, and so he's working through all this. And we're talking about we talked about it all week long as we rode three times last week, I think. This dilemma. What do I do? And uh, yesterday Don was saying, I've always wanted to be a person of integrity. I want. To be an, a model and example to my children and my grandchildren, and so even though it's really attractive to be able to make a chunk of money, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. And so as we talked about this in that decision-making process, it all starts. What time is it? Ten after? You guys are good. Um, it all starts with your, your philosophy, your world view. And so you and I ought to possess what we would call a Christian world view, or I might say that a biblical worldview, that the way you and I view life, the way you and I view the world, the way we make our decisions in life about everything we do is in response to the way that we believe the world exists. So if you believe that the end justifies the means, do you have any problems with lying to the mortgage company? No. But if you believe that there's a holy God, a just God, not just a God of love and grace and mercy, but a God that is holy and just, and he's created everything, including you. If you believe that and embrace that, that's a part of your world view. If you believe that the scriptures are inspired by God and are the guidelines that he gives us to show us where and how to live our lives, if that's a part of your worldview, then it governs the choices and the decisions you make, right? So it starts with how you view the world. And sadly, the challenge for many Christians, nobody here, of course, but the challenge for many Christians is they do not have a solid Biblical world view. Because it's out of that philosophy, that world view then, that the principles of life come into play. And where do you find those principles by which you govern your life? Not out there in the world. Not on the evening news. Not from Dr. Phil and Laura and Oprah and the list goes on. You get the principles for living your life where? In the Bible. And so, if I'm seeking to follow Jesus, and I'm seeking to obey Him, and I want my life to honor Him, then the principles of my life will ultimately govern the practices of my life. It starts with the philosophy, my worldview. Then the, the, the principles, and then the practices of my life flow out of that. So, my choice to not lie to the mortgage company then affects my decision am i then going to agree to the higher down payment or am i just going to step away from the whole thing and that's where don and his wife came they stepped away from the whole thing and had the hard challenge of telling their son thanks for the opportunity but it's not right for us and telling his son why it's not the right choice for us i am not comfortable in my life of integrity as a follower of Jesus, I'm not comfortable telling a lie to the mortgage company. That is a man of integrity. That is a man who's not governing his life by rules, but governs his life by relationship to Jesus. I remember when I was at Biola. This was true at Grace too, and most Christian colleges back in the '60s. I don't know that it continues today, but I remember when I went to Biola. We had a student pledge that we had to sign, and it was a long list of things we wouldn't do. You know, again, don't smoke, drink, or chew, and don't go with the girls that do, and so on. And that, that we had to sign that pledge. Do we sign that every semester, every year? I don't remember. But I remember we had to, we had to sign that pledge that we would honor this list of, of rules. And I remember, I think it was my junior year, one of my professors in a, one of my Bible classes, we were having this conversation about rules regulations. What is the Christian life really all about? Is it about following the rules? Is it about relationship with Jesus? What what's this really all about? And I remember Dr. Friedrichson telling us that day that if if he was in charge, if he was in charge, the document that we would sign would not be a list of all these rules. It would be a document where we simply agree. I'm signing my name. It is my Heart's desire, in everything I do in my life, to honor the Lord Jesus with the choices I make, the decisions I make, and the way I live my life. I could sign that in a heartbeat. But we had all these lists and all these rules. And one of the fears I have, concerns I have, is that for many Christians, none of us here, hopefully, probably, maybe, But for many Christians, the Christian life is all about doing and not doing. It's about performance. It's about following the rules. And our rules are simple. You know, uh, my spiritual life, the quality of my spiritual life, the depth of my spiritual life is determined by the fact that I, I keep the rules. I go to church on Sunday. I go to Sunday school. I read my Bible. I do, do, do. It's all about doing the right things. And what Jesus, I think, wants us to understand is it's all about relationship with him. It's all about relationship with him. Is it your heart's desire to please Jesus in every facet of your life? Is that what you desire to do more than anything else? At that point, the list of rules don't matter anymore. Because whatever you do with the choices, decisions you're going to make, it's all about pleasing Jesus. Anxious to please, dread to offend. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so here's Jesus in conflict with the rule keepers of his day 2,000 years ago. And here's us today in the 21st century, many times still struggling to keep the rules. And I want to encourage you this morning, it's not about what you do, it's about your love relationship with Jesus. It's not about what you choose to not do, it's all about your love relationship with Jesus. Do you desire to please the Lord who died on the cross, gave himself for you, offers you the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sin? Is it your heart's ambition to please him in all that you do? I've been known to tell people in counseling situations, if it pleases you to please God, you can do what you please. You have to think about that. I've had people jump all over me for that statement because they reacted like that instead of thinking about what I just said. If it pleases you to please Jesus, You can do what you want to do. Because if it pleases me to please Jesus, I've already got some boundaries set up, right? And so if it pleases me to please Jesus, here's where I'm going to live my life. Whatever I want to do in that arena is what? Good to go. And so it's all about relationship. The choices that you make the decisions that you make as you live your Christian life. It's all about Jesus. So you're making decisions about what TV shows you watch. It's all about Jesus. It's all about pleasing Jesus. It's all about what Jesus wants. You're making decisions. Hey, the movie theaters are open again. Are you excited about that? Not really. Yeah, me neither. And so movie theaters are open. And you're going to make choices. We could go out to see movies now. We haven't been to a movie in 15 months. This is so cool. So what movie are you going to go see? Well, that decision is all about loving Jesus, honoring Jesus. There's movies I cannot go see. they're, They're outside the boundaries. There's movies I can't go see. So if two of my unsaved friends call me up and say, Hey, Roy. We'd like to go out to dinner together and to a movie. Cool. Get to spend time with my unsaved friends. I'm all over that. Let's go. Where are we going? Well, we're going to go out to dinner at you know, XYZ restaurant. What movie are we going to go see? Oh. Yeah, that's an R-rated movie, right? Uh-huh. Is that a problem? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not comfortable. That, that's just, that doesn't fit my, my life. I'm not comfortable. So what choices do I have? I could go to dinner and let them go to movies without me. I could not go at all. But I've got some decisions to make. But what's guiding those decisions? I want to honor Jesus. It's all about my relationship with Him. I love Him. I serve Him. I'm following Jesus. That's how I make those decisions. And so I want to encourage you this morning... It's not about keeping the rules. Sadly, it never has been, even though that's the culture I grew up in in the 50s and 60s. It's never been about the rules. It's always been about what? Jesus. My heart for Jesus. Yeah, there's the heart word, Amy. Thank you. It's all about that. Decisions I make, the things that I choose to read, the television shows I watch, the movies I watch, the places I go, the forms of entertainment I enjoy... It's all about. Am I? Can I? What am I going to do to best honor Jesus in my life? I want to please Him. If it pleases you to please Jesus, you could do whatever you please, because you've already drawn the boundaries. Lord, I'm grateful this morning. Even growing up in a culture that uh, honored those rules, celebrated those rules, uh, pressed hard into those rules. I'm grateful that in the midst of all that you've led many of us most of us maybe even all of us to understand the simple truth this morning it's not about keeping rules it's about loving Jesus it's not about following a list of do's and don'ts it's a it's all about following Jesus and so Jesus I'm glad this morning that you've left us with these four gospel accounts you've left us with these principles for life and instead of all these rules and regulations and do's and don'ts i loved your response your response to the pharisees with all their rules when you boiled it down to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbors yourself from 630 13 rules (laughs) to two big ideas two big principles Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Help us, Lord, this week to honor you with the life that we live, the choices we make, the decisions we make. Might you be honored and glorified. And might the light we live fulfill the words that you spoke when you said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Make that true in each of our lives in the week ahead. Is our prayer together as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: If you would stand, we're going to sing one of my mom's favorites, How Great Thou Art. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
0: And And so, Lord, we've come this morning to proclaim together how great You are. We've come to worship You in all Your greatness, all Your glory, all Your power. We acknowledge that You are the great, eternal King, the sovereign ruler of the universe. You are the Almighty God. There's never a moment that You are less than Almighty There's never a minute that you're not faithful to your promises. There's never a second that we do not have the assurance of your presence with us. And so as we leave this place, we go with you beside us. We go with your Holy Spirit indwelling us and enabling us. Cause this week as we go out these doors into a lost world that needs to know Jesus. That we would be mindful of the great joy and the great privilege it is that We're to live life, not as rule keepers, but to live life in relationship with You, in a love relationship with You. Help us to live this week in a way that honors Your love for us and all that You've done for us and all Your greatness and all Your glory and all Your power. It is our heart's desire, Lord, to honor You with our lives this week. May we let our light so shine before others that they might see You in us And that you ultimately receive honor and glory. That's our prayer together this morning. As we ask in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.